Welcome to the New Hope Podcast. Our mission at New Hope is to engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. We pray this message encourages you in encountering God's love and displaying it to your city. We hope to see you soon. Uh, Let me just kind of say it on the front end. The main point of this sermon is simply this. God has a kingdom purpose for your life. Therefore, discover and fulfill it. God has a kingdom purpose for your life, therefore discover and fulfill it. Value number five, reproducing leaders, that second demonstration is that we want to empower growing Christians to discover and fulfill their personal mission. Why? Because we believe that every believer has a kingdom purpose for your life. Meaning that no matter what your vocation is, no matter what your hobbies are, no matter where you live, who you live with, who you don't live with, no matter any of those variables, whatever those variables are, we believe simply by the fact that you are a believer, that you've been redeemed by Christ, that that changes everything and it adds an intentional purpose within your life. We believe that God has a kingdom purpose for your life, therefore discover and fulfill it. I don't have a specific text for tonight's sermon. This is going to be a topical sermon, so we're going to be a little bit all over the place. But we are going to look at the life of Peter. Because I believe when we look at the life of Peter, we're going to see a progression in his life that is an encouragement and is a model for us, even in our callings. And you may say from the front end, all right, all right Pastor, you're already going to talk about Peter. Well, Peter was a pastor. Peter was an elder. Peter was a missionary. And so I recognize that maybe what you're having to say applies to him. But if you're using him as an example, how does that apply to me who may not be a pastor? And I think as we begin to unpack the truths that, yes, although he was a pastor and he was a missionary, I think the truths that we're going to see can transcend vocation and will apply to your life, no matter what your vocation, no matter where where your kind of main nine-to-five life may be. So three truths to unpack the main point tonight. Truth number one is that we must discover our purpose. We must discover our purpose. Our kingdom purpose is not something that we determine. And I intentionally say we discover it versus determine it, or we discover it versus decide it ourselves. I want to look at the first time we see Jesus and Peter interact. And so John chapter 1, it should be on the screen, but if not, feel free to follow along with me. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35 and following, it says this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus. This is John the Baptist. He looked at Jesus, and as he walked by, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they left John the Baptist and went and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, which is 4 or 5 p.m. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. So Andrew grabs Peter and he brought him to Jesus. And watch this. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. I want you to notice that in this moment that Peter... Specifically, based off this text and nowhere else, do we see and understand Peter to be a given name. 
meaning this was not a birth name that we're aware of. But instead, Jesus recognizes, you are Simon, son of John. He recognized, hey, that is your given name. But I've got something to tell you. You shall be called Cephas, or you shall be called Peter. Cephas is Aramaic for the Greek word Peter, Petros. So Cephas and Peter are the same. You shall be called Peter. Now, I want us to point out that as we begin to look at from this very moment, this is the first interaction that Jesus has with Peter. Peter and the name and what that name represents would go on to define the identity and the purpose of what Peter would do with the rest of his life. But I want you to notice that that is an identity and a purpose that Peter did not decide. But it was an identity and purpose that was given to him when what? When he came face to face with Jesus. It was an identity that Jesus gave to him. It was an identity and a purpose that Peter discovered for himself. And as we begin to think about this, as we think about, well, how, pastor, do I discover my purpose? If I want to believe the premise of your main point that God has a kingdom purpose for our lives, and truth number one, we got to discover that purpose. How do I discover that purpose? And then I have no better way to answer that question than to come face to face with Jesus. Because when we come face to face with Jesus, that he takes that which is ordinary and he makes a purpose that is beyond our own seeing. See, this was a name that Peter didn't see for himself. This was a name that those around Peter didn't see for himself. But this was a name which has meaning behind it. The name just wasn't pointless. The name was speaking to who and what Peter would do. It was speaking to his purpose. And it was given to him by Jesus as he became face to face with Jesus. How do I discover my purpose Our kingdom purpose is not realized until we encounter Jesus and he speaks that purpose over us and we see a greater purpose is revealed. We see this more explicitly in Matthew chapter 16 verses 13 and 19, which is where we see Peter give description or God give description to what Peter means. In Matthew chapter 16 verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? So he's asking the question of the identity of Jesus. Jesus is asking about himself. Who do others say that I am? Verse 14, and they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others uh, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who, Who do you believe I am to be? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So we see that Peter gives and recognizes truly who Jesus is, vital to the story. It's in the moment where Peter recognizes fully who Jesus is that Jesus responds with this in verse 17. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's a beautiful statement where Jesus not only just calls him Peter, we see that the first time Jesus sees Peter, he says, hey, your name is Peter. But it's in this moment where Peter fully sees who Jesus is and professes him as Lord and Messiah, that it's in that moment that Jesus gives a purpose to his name that would forever define the rest of his life. And I want us to hear today that you, 
as a believer in Jesus, you have a kingdom purpose for your life. And that kingdom purpose is discovered as we come face to face with Jesus, that we recognize he as Lord, that he is king, and that we surrender to him as king. You will never discover and fulfill your kingdom purpose if you don't recognize and worship Jesus as king. I'm using this language intentionally because fulfilling our kingdom purpose requires us to surrender to the king and live out the mission the king has for us. When you have a king and you have subjects, the subjects do whatever the king wants them to do. And what they do as they go on mission, it is not just their mission, it's the mission that the king has for them. And so for us, if we have a kingdom purpose, kingdom means that we are recognize that we're in the kingdom of God. To have a kingdom purpose is that we recognize our marching orders are not determined by us, are discovered as the king gives us our purpose. And I want you to hear me say that I believe everybody in here, as a believer in Jesus, in the kingdom of God, has a kingdom purpose that is discovered as Jesus speaks that purpose over us. Truth number two, not only are we to discover our purpose, but we are to be developed in our purpose. I remember when um, I was being ordained into pastoral ministry, I was uh, younger. I was a younger pastor being ordained. I had been thankful. I'm so grateful for the men and women in my life who had helped invest in my life to allow me uh, adequate training, non-professional training, um, where a church was calling me into a pastoral role and um, and then what they did is they asked my home church, because I'd been at my home church most of my life, and those were the men who trained me, they asked my home church to ordain me, which is uh, a, uh, a what, what ordination is, is a moment where other men of God examine you, other pastors examine you to make sure you're, you're ready and qualified for pastoral ministry, um, and then they pray over you. It is a thing that is done within the church, but it's also a legal thing. It, it's, it's recognized by the federal government as um, it, it just changes things. So it's, it's an official thing that happens. But the point is, I remember I went into that ordination council, and these were, these were men that I respected. Uh, this was my pastor, uh, who had been my pastor at that time almost 15 years uh, my father was in there because he's an ordained pastor. My brother-in-law was in there because he was an ordained pastor, plus other men who discipled me. If you remember when I um, first came here, the man who came and preached my installation, uh, he was in that room as well. And so there are these men that were in my room that that respected and loved me. But but here's what happened. I get in there, and and I'm, I'm just excited. It's an exciting day, and, and they stop at the very beginning, and the, guy, the pastor overseeing the ordination looks at me and says, Jonathan... He said, you got to understand something. We're ordaining you because we do believe you're, you're ready enough. And we do believe and we're, we're gonna, that the church you're now serving in has asked us to do this. But you need to understand something. Jonathan, a call and a purpose on your life into ministry is a call to prepare for that ministry. And we believe that you need to utilize every opportunity to prepare for that training. Therefore, we need you to can promise us right now, vow to us, that you will fulfill seminary training, otherwise we will not ordain you. Now listen to me. I do not believe you have to go to seminary in order to be ordained into the gospel ministry. They, they, neither did those men, because they ordained me without, being in gospel, without going through that seminary training. But here's the point. If we recognize that a call to ministry, to preach the gospel 
is, is, is an important enough call that we must be prepared for that call. And if we really are value being prepared and developed for that purpose, then why wouldn't we utilize every opportunity to be trained as adequately as possible? That was their point. Their point was the call is so serious on your life that you need to be developed for that call. Now, I use the example of my vocation because that's my vocation. But the same is true for many of you in your vocations. I'm just really grateful that when I had surgery uh, 10 years ago, that that doctor didn't just decide, you know what, I think I want to be a doctor. I think I'm called to be a doctor. I I think I'm called to be a surgeon. You know, I I think I'd put this medicine in this needle, and I think it'll put you out. We'll find out. Let's just just see what happens. I'm just so grateful that 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 wasn't what happened, right? I'm so grateful that in, when we think about any vocation or any profession, we think about any hobby, if you really feel called to that and you really want to be great at that and excellent at that and have that be valuable in your life, it's, you don't just decide it. And not only do you not decide it, but even if you go, this is what God has for my life, then you must still recognize that that's a call to prepare. That whatever, when we think about our calling, it requires development. I want to look at for example, Peter, and there's a lot, so we're going to f- go fast through this. But I want to look at Luke chapter 5. So quickly, what happens, um, just I'm going to give you a lot of history. So we often think when we get to Luke chapter 5, this is the first time that Jesus meets Peter. It's not the first time that Jesus meets Peter. Okay? We, we know this because in John chapter 1, we see Jesus meet Peter. Then they have, they have some activity that take place. If you read John chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, um, they travel out of Jerusalem back into Galilee. Then we believe um, Mark chapter 1, we have this moment where Jesus comes along and they're fishing. And Jesus says, hey, come follow me. We're going to go on this little Galilean preaching journey. So go on this Galilean preaching journey that is estimated to last about a couple of months. Then they come back. And after that short-term mission trip, Peter goes out fishing again. And then we get to Luke chapter 5. I believe those are separate instances. Some believe they're the same. But nonetheless, this is not the first time that Jesus meets Peter. But in Luke chapter 5, Jesus comes to him. Now, this is someone who he's been already discipling him in the sense of that he knows of Jesus. And they've spent some short-term mission trip time together. But in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennaraset, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So fishing was done, but getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, this is Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets." I firmly believe that Peter in this moment wasn't excited about this. I think we can kind of see it. He was like, he was, he, first of all, he calls him master, so there's a form of respect, which is good. But he says, hey, we've been fishing all night. And, and I, I honestly kind of think Peter a little bit talking to Jesus is like, hey, master, you're a great Bible teacher, right? You're a rabbi, but I'm the professional fisherman, and I'm telling you I've been out fishing all night, and we've caught nothing. But since you said, sure, why not? Let's, let's, let's try it your way. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. 
They signaled to their partners and the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I want you to notice he went from master, he went from rabbi to recognizing that Jesus isn't just the master of Bible teaching. He's the master even over fishery, which means he is more than just a Bible teacher. And he has this realization moment that Jesus is more than just another rabbi. Jesus is more than just another prophet, but he calls him Lord. Verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who are partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. I want you to see that statement. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. It's a statement of purpose. I want you to notice that in in the progression of uh, Peter, he's already once, in John chapter 1, Jesus has called him Peter. And then here in Luke chapter 5, which we understand calling him Peter, speaking purpose over his life. And here in Luke chapter 5, he begins to speak even more purpose over his life. And so we do see this is the time where Jesus, or excuse me, where Peter finally really lets go of fishing. And he never goes back to fishing until later on, which we'll come to in a second. But then he begins to spend the next two to three years with Jesus full time. And he lives with Jesus. And he walks with him. And he, he, he sleeps where he sleeps and eats where he eats. And he sees ministry happening. We see Peter begin to grow in faith. We see this moment where Peter walks on water and then begins to sink. We see Peter grow as he's developed for the call that is on his life. Jesus, from the very beginning, speaks that purpose over his life. But then we see this season of development. In that season of development, we see Peter make a lot of mistakes. There are many times where he says the right things, and there are many times he says the wrong things. We're seeing this progression and growing take place. Comes this moment, though, at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, where the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had been arrested, and we see Peter make a pretty big failure. We see Peter not step into his calling, but instead he denies Jesus. Instead of living out his purpose of proclaiming Jesus, he, he walks in that failure. And I want you to see what happens in John chapter 21, verses 1 and following. This is after the failure. This is after Jesus' resurrection. This is even after Peter has seen Jesus resurrected. I want you to, I want you to point that out. That Peter, even in his failure, still knows that Jesus is the Messiah because he's seen him resurrected. But I want you to notice something. Let's read the story. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who is called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were all together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. We haven't seen Peter go fishing since Luke chapter 5, but he's going fishing. Now, time out. Fishing represents his life before Jesus gave him a kingdom purpose. Not to say fishing's bad, but he, that wasn't his kingdom purpose. So he, we see him not walking in that kingdom purpose. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Luke chapter 5. Just as day was breaking, same as Luke chapter 5. You're going to see a point here. The stories are pretty much the same. Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciples whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. Notice the same thing happens as Luke chapter 5. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out of the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to him, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to him, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished the breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? I personally believe he was pointing to the fish. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. What is he doing? He's speaking to his purpose. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He's speaking to his purpose, his calling. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said this a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying these things, he said to him, follow me. I want you to notice that I firmly believe that Jesus, as a way of reminding Peter of Luke chapter 5 story, of reminding Peter of the moment where he recognized Jesus fully as Lord, King over the universe, fully where he began to step into his purpose, began to be developed by his purpose. But because of failure along the way, he said, you know what? I'm unworthy of the purpose that God has for me. I'm just going to go back fishing. I know that he has called me Peter, and I know that that means that he's going to use me to help proclaim the gospel and to build his church but I, I just messed up a little too much. Therefore, my purpose can't apply to me anymore. I know that he's resurrected. I've seen him resurrected. So I know he's the Lord, but, but he can't use me anymore. And here, here's what I want to say. I really believe that every person in here, as a believer in Christ, has a kingdom call in their life. But I think many of us don't live into that kingdom call because during the season of development, we stepped into failure and can never get past it. And I really believe that many of us don't not live out our purpose, double negative, sorry, but I think many of us choose not to live out our purpose, not because we don't believe it's there, because we believe we're unworthy to live it out. And I want us to see from the Peter that Jesus walks him through the exact same incident as Luke chapter 5 to remind him every step of the way of the moment that Jesus fully revealed his purpose to Peter in order to reinstate him and say, hey, your failures do not determine your purpose. I determine your purpose. And although you have failures along the way, it does not change the call that I have on your life. Church family, would you hear me today that I believe you have a kingdom call on your life. 
And many of you in here may have discovered it or not discovered it. Many of you may believe what it is, but many of you in here go, but I've just screwed it up. God can't use me anymore. Listen to me. If you and your actions were fully dependent on God using you, then who would get the glory, you or him? You would. Praise be to God that, yes, he has a call, high standard for leaders, and he calls us to that holiness. But listen to me, that I am not a pastor because of anything God's, because of anything I've done for him, but just because of his grace. And whether you're a pastor or whether you're not a pastor or whether, no matter what your vocation is, no matter what your hobby is, I believe that we all have a kingdom purpose on our lives. And I think that many of us allow that kingdom purpose to get halted because of failures and guilt and shame. And might we see that through that development, that God is working in that. And let us be a people who fail forward. That we allow our failures to push us towards our kingdom call, not away from our kingdom call. Truth number three. Not only do we discover our purpose, not only are we developed in our purpose, but lastly, we must be deployed to fulfill our purpose. We get to Matthew chapter 28. Jesus takes not only Peter, but all the disciples. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And there's this moment where he says, okay, you're ready. It's, it's time for you to be released. It's time for you to be deployed. I think of, and I want to do, we looked at Peter. I want to look quickly at Paul. Just if you want to flip to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. It's not going to be on the screen. I just thought of it. Acts chapter 13. In verse 1, it says this. Now, they were in the church at Antioch. There were prophets and teachers. There's Barnabas. There's Simeon, who is called Niger. There's Lucius and Cyrene. There's Menaean, the lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And there was Saul, who was Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We'll probably talk about this a little bit more next week. But if you're in your Bibles, I want you to flip to Acts chapter 9. I'm just going to do a quick history. Acts chapter 9, we see what? Paul become face-to-face with Jesus he recognizes Jesus as Lord, and in that moment, he discovers his purpose. It's in that moment that as Jesus comes face to face with Paul, he is converted to Christianity. Jesus speaks that purpose over him, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 13, we see Paul deployed on mission. Acts chapter 9, truth number 1, he discovers his purpose. Acts chapter 13, truth number 3, he is deployed on his purpose. So in between Acts 9 and 13, it takes you and I about 15 minutes to read it. But if we map out Galatians chapter 1 and 2 and other passages of Scripture that give us timeline, we recognize that in between Acts 9 and Acts 13 is 12 to 18 years, depending on how the mapping is. 12 to 18 years. I need you to understand that Paul had an incredible call in his life in Acts chapter 13, and he was released on mission. He was discovered that call and that purpose in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 13 is released, and it took him 12 to 18 years, according to Galatians 1 and 2, where he walked with Jesus and learned and prepared for that kingdom purpose. Guys, many times I believe that God has a call in our life, and we must be ready to be prepared for that call, and then we must step out on that call. I want to end with this illustration. 
Uh, recently, I read a biography of Jackie Robinson. I love baseball. Grateful for him and what he did, not only for baseball, uh, but in uh, a difficult season in American history. Jackie Robinson, on April 15, 1947, he debuted for the Brooklyn Dodgers as the first African-American player to play in Major League Baseball. This was a momentous thing that brought about great difficulties for Jackie Robinson. Uh, as I was read the biography, I was, I was horrified at some of the incidents and things that he went through. But just imagine just the hate and the cruelty that he faced. He would go on and have an incredibly successful career. He was awarded the National League MVP two years later in 1949. He went on to win the World Series with the Brooklyn Dodgers in 1955, and he became the first African-American voted into the Major League Hall of Fame. But here's, here's what, why I bring him up, because we understand he, he's a very public story. He, he's a story that is rightfully honored. But here's the backstory that I had no idea until I read the biography. There's this moment where Jackie Robinson, um, he was playing uh, not in the National League uh, or Major League Baseball. He, he was playing the African-American League, um, and he was recruited by the general manager uh, to come. The general manager at the time was Branch Rickey, general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers. He was invited to come to Brooklyn. To, they were talking about having an expansion team, and they were going to uh, 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 a black expansion team that they were wanting him to come. That's why he thought he was going. So he comes into the office, and he begins to have a conversation where uh, Rickey invited him to come play for the Brooklyn Dodgers. He, he didn't know that was going to happen, invited him to come play for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And the reason for it was he Felt like it was time. I'm grateful for the general manager. He felt like it was time. He recognized that Jackie Robinson was a great baseball player, but he also recognized that Jackie Robinson was a Christian. See, Branch Rickey was also a Christian to the point that he, even as a general manager, would not go to any baseball games on Sunday because he wanted to devote that time to worship. And so this was a guy who, who was a God-fearing man, recognized that Jackie Robinson also was a Christian whose mom had raised him in, in, that, in the faith. And so he recognized that Jackie Robinson was the right man for the job because it was, going to take more than, it was going to take more than human efforts to be able to overcome what Jackie Robinson would face in the coming years. And so I want to read a portion of the biography that begins to describe this conversation. But Ricky asked Jackie if he was up for the job. And when he asked him if he was up for the job, he wasn't talking about playing great baseball. He knew that Jackie could do that. What he meant, he explained, was... That if Jackie was able to become a Major League Baseball player, to become the first uh, black player, he would have to be able to endure tremendous abuse, both verbal and physical. Jackie was sure that he could face up to whatever came his way. He wasn't afraid of anyone and had been in a number of fistfights over the years. And when anyone had challenged him, he was ready to step up. But Ricky responded because he had something else in mind. He said, I know you're a good ball player, Ricky said. What I don't know is whether you have guts. Ricky knew that what he meant was something dramatically different than what Jackie Robinson had on his mind. So he went on to explain. He said, what I'm looking for, for someone to have guts, is that I'm looking for someone who has guts enough not to fight back. This was an unexpected, um, uh, this was an unexpected response that Jackie Robinson had. And so what happened, Branch Rickey, right there in that moment, began to let Jackie Robinson just have a picture of everything he was potentially about to face and the hatred that was about to come his way. 
According to Ricky, not only would Robinson have to tolerate such abuse, but he would need to be almost superhuman and to commit himself to never, ever hit back. This was the heart of the whole enterprise that, was, that they were facing. If Jackie could promise that, then he and Ricky could make this work. They could open the doors for other black players and change the game forever. Jackie knew that resisting the urge to fight back really would require a superhuman effort. But he was deeply moved by Ricky's vision. He thought of his mother. He thought of all the black people who deserved someone to break this ground for them, even if it was difficult. He believed that God had chosen him for this noble purpose. He believed he had to do it for black kids, for his mother, for his wife, for himself. Knowing that Jackie shared the Christian faith and wanting to reinforce the spiritual dimension of what these two men were about to embark on together, Ricky brought out a copy of a book titled The Life of Christ by Giovanni Papini. He flipped to the passage in which Papini discussed the Sermon on the Mount and refers to one of the most revolutionary teachings of Jesus. It indeed was revolutionary. In fact, it seemed impossible. The text was Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 41, which says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you, take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Ricky was betting that Jackie Robinson knew what he himself knew. Although this was indeed humanly impossible, but with God's help, it was entirely possible. And Jackie did know it. As a Christian, he knew that he was committed, that if he committed himself to do this thing, which both men felt was God's will for them to do, God would give Jackie the strength to accomplish it. I give this story um, as an illustration for a number of reasons. One, because it's a story that has nothing to do with a pastor. I give it as a story because it's also a very public story, meaning that all, most of us have heard of Jackie Robinson and the story. But I also point out this story because Jackie Robinson, um, he played baseball. And I'm not in any way, please, hopefully the fact that I'm using this story is, you hear me say, I'm not minimizing what he did by any means. But my point is, is that he was just living his life and because of his Christian faith, was able to put in a moment that through the power of God, as he lived out that Christian faith, was able to do something that seemed impossible to make a kingdom impact, both eternally and temporally here in America. Now, you may do something that ne no one ever hears about. I'm not telling you today that if you live out your kingdom purpose, someone's going to write a biography about you one day. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that one day that there's going to be a street named after you or anything else, all of which is rightfully due upon Jackie Robinson. But what I am saying is that what was just baseball, largely because of his Christian faith, gave him an opportunity that changed the purpose, and it was no longer just about baseball. It was much greater than baseball. It was both physically here on earth and, I believe, in eternity and so I want to say to you what I appreciate so greatly about this story, amongst many other stories that I could have chosen, what it was ordinary men empowered by a purpose, by a call, by the Holy Spirit, did extraordinary things that forever changed lives that we know of, and many of us will do that and no one will ever hear about it, but it still has a kingdom impact. And I want to encourage you that no matter what you do today, 
no matter what your vocation is, no matter what your hobbies is, no matter where you live, no matter who you live with or who you don't live with, no matter any of those variables, because you are a believer in Jesus, it changes all of those variables. That I believe that you have a kingdom call on your life, that God has a kingdom purpose for your life, therefore discover and fulfill it. I close by simply talking about Jesus. That Jesus was just an ordinary man in the sense that he wasn't a king on earth. That yes, he was a prophet. Yes, he was a healer. But he was hardly known outside of his little group. Hardly anybody. But yet, he was God in person. And he had a kingdom call. And as he faithfully fulfilled that kingdom call, it changed everything, including my life today. And I believe that if you and I go, you know what? If I believe in Jesus, I believe he's king, I believe he has a real kingdom, I believe I'm a part of that kingdom, then that means my life matters in that kingdom. My life matters there. And therefore, I want to live a life, not that I've determined, but that God has spoken over me. And I want to understand that that's going to take development, and I understand that I needed to be deployed, but nonetheless... I have a kingdom purpose for my life, and I want to live today fulfilling that purpose, whatever that purpose may be. And I pray that that would be the call in your life, because Jesus did that, and it changed everything. But it all must begin with what? Peter becomes face-to-face with Jesus. Peter becomes face-to-face with Jesus. Peter does not become Peter until he encounters Jesus as Lord. And whatever your kingdom purpose is, it cannot begin until you encounter the king. You can't get your kingdom orders until you meet the king. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, that is where you begin. And I pray that you would put your faith and trust in Jesus because he is a worthy king. I want to pray for us. We're not going to spend time singing and worship because I just want to pray over you for a second. I just want to pray over you. So if you would, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want you to take a moment, first and foremost... If you're in here today and you go, you know what, I don't know that I've ever put my faith and trust in Jesus. Remember the question that Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? I want you to answer the question, everybody in here, who who is Jesus to you? And I pray that the answer that comes out of your mouth is he's my Lord. He's my King. He's my Savior. He's my God. And if he's anything less than that, then you're missing who he really is in your life. And I pray that you see that and you surrender to that. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Because how you answer that question will determine the rest of your life. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.